Colossians 3 verse 12 says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you are also called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We're going to be concentrating on that last verse this evening. Because I think there's often a disconnect between what you hear here at church at Impact on a Friday night and what you actually live out and what you actually practice. These concepts are so foreign to the world around us. Meekness, humility, long-suffering. People don't even know what meekness means. Tender mercies. When's the last time you heard your friends say that? The slogans of this world are not built upon these foundations. These are something that's only found in the Bible, lived out, practiced. Think about it. The majority of the U.S. says that they're Christian. Something like 93% of people that are Americans claim that they are Christian. Now, if 93% of, 93 of America is Christian, imagine what America would look like if we only practiced the simple things located in this verse. I can't even tell you of one thing that I've been practicing in that verse. Humility, kindness, meekness. These are things against me when I read them. They're convicting. The U.S., our culture, doesn't want to use those things for advertising, right? Think about the slogans. What's Nike's slogan? Just do it. Can you imagine if Nike said, just do unto others? A big billboard. Or what's a workout world's slogan? Anyone know? Jersey pride. Imagine it was Jersey humility on everyone's bumper sticker. Be a very different world that we would live in. Well, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to delve into each of these concepts. Talk about how can we actively apply what's happening here in Colossians chapter 3. We know that we're to put off those things, put off the sinful nature, but in order to do that, you have to put on something. So how do we put on these things and not just talk about it, not just say, okay, now be humble. Okay, now be kind. How do I leave here today and become more kind? I went on a road trip for the past couple of days with some of my friends. I can tell you I wasn't very kind. And it was convicting for me because it's like, wow, how can I call myself you know, a preacher of the word, if I can't even practice simple things like kindness, if I'm not humble, if I'm not meek, if I'm not doing these things that I'm preaching, how is it even possible? How do we do these things? How do we practice holiness? How do we become more like Jesus? Well, tonight, as we're, we go in the next couple of weeks about these concepts, tonight we, we can't delve into those things without understanding what it means to worship God. And that's in the last verse Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What does it mean to do things in the name of the Lord? What does it mean to use our giftings that we have to worship God? 
What does it mean to worship? See, I think I, I happen to just not be a believable person. I've heard that very often, usually in front of people that, you know, are very upset and they don't see that I'm upset at all. I'm just like chilling, you know, and they're all angry or frustrated or crying. And I just, I don't know. I just, I don't show any emotion. People just don't believe what I say. They don't think that I care. But I have to tell you guys, I care about you guys a lot. I know I don't seem that way, but I do. I really want you guys to get this. I really want you guys to understand the text tonight. I want you to understand what it means to be called by God, because I think a lot of us are wondering that very question. What does it mean to be called by the Lord? What does the calling of the Lord mean? What does God's will mean when it says, this is the will of God for you, or I want to know God's will. How can you actually know what God's will is for your life? Well, first of all, let's talk about worship. What does worship mean? Does anyone know? Raise your hand. Yes. Any act that honors God. I like that definition. Well, breaking down the word, it's worth-ship. And you put it together, it's worship. You're giving worth to something. And we as humans are worshipers by nature. You see that everywhere you go. You see it in the football stadiums. People paint themselves. They cheer. They, they scream. Today, when we were playing that game, chanting, we are worshipers by nature. It comes natural to us to glorify other things. When I was at, M, at an M83 show, you know, I was there chilling in the crowd and people are dancing, people are raising their hands. You know, sometimes you'll go to a concert, people take out their lighters and they're like, you know, this little seance thing. We are worshipers by nature. We want to give glory to things that please us, that make us feel good. Worshiping God in the broad sense involves using what we have to glorify him. In the broad sense, not just saying singing songs, not just coming here playing music. Worship in the broad sense means using what we have to glorify him. And that's what verse 17 says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of Jesus. So it doesn't always mean the songs. Because, I mean, you could think of mute or deaf people that can't sing or can't hear music. And we're not excluding them from worship. Obviously, God's not talking about, well, you better worship me, but you can't talk. So it stinks to be you. No, to worship God means to live our entire life in honor of him. When we love something, when you and I, we like something, we love something, we use our words to try to describe the thing that we think deserves worship and deserves the worth. I've been watching this anime series for the past, I don't know, couple of months. And it's a fighting anime. And it's just so exciting that like, I've been waking up early on a Sunday morning because it always comes out Saturday night. I've been waking up a half hour early on Sunday morning just so I can watch this fighting anime. There's this, two weeks ago, there's this one episode where this one guy comes in and he's like, it's totally hyped up. It's being like the strongest guy ever. And then this other guy comes in who's the main character like, oh, he's gonna get beat up. And then all of a sudden he comes out of nowhere, has all these powers you didn't know about. I was just like, I know that you guys probably don't care, but I was so excited that I was watching by myself and I was smiling the whole time. I was like, yes, this is so good. I wanted to tell other people about it, but you know, that's when the persecution comes. That's when Sarah Casterly comes over and she says, enemy is stupid. Enemy is from Satan. She said that once. I'm just being honest. I'm at the pulpit here, okay? But we'll talk about this later. So, 
There are times where you'll actually go under persecution for the thing that you worship because you like the thing so much. Well, everything that you have, your body, your giftings are from God. And so we are to use those things for his glory, not for the glory of the thing, but for the glory of God, because he's the one who gave those things. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3, please. This is the passage we're going to really concentrate on tonight, so you can leave Colossians. Ephesians chapter 3. If you ever forget where that is in the Bible, just remember, Gary eats popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Just saying. Trying to help you guys. Ephesians 3, verse 4 through 10 says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were raised even when we are dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. That's what we've been learning. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not that of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now here's the verse we're really focusing on. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Verse 10 has two applications for you and I tonight. Two, very simple. Number one, it shows that God sees worth in you. God sees worth in you. And also God has a purpose for your life. So God sees worth in you. We see in that verse, and we also see that God has a purpose for you. You're not just thrown into existence without a meaning, without a creator, without any real objective meaning to your life, but there is a reason you are here, that you are to walk into. God made you for something so that you could walk in his purposes. It's not something that you create of yourself. You're not saying, well, I need to figure out what my meaning is and what I I'm supposed to do here on this earth, but God says, I have a purpose for you, and you are to walk in that will, to walk in that purpose. Well, first of all, the first application for us tonight, God sees worth in you. I just want to say this. You are God's workmanship. You are God's masterpiece, it says in the NLT. God has joy in you. He loves you just the way that he created you. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? We are made in the image of God. Genesis tells us that God made us in his own likeness. Now, our likeness, our image, has been marred by sin. Kind of like, has anyone seen that botched-up painting of Jesus? That fresco painting? Where it's like, does anyone know that story? Raise your hand if you don't know what I'm talking about at all. Really? Okay. So you can Google it. Just botch that painting of Jesus. You'll find it really fast. It's hilarious. So there's this old ancient fresco of Jesus, you know, priceless work of art. And some, the woman who owned it was like, oh, I'm going to fix it. <laughs> and then she starts painting over it. And it looks like this cartoon character, like a smiley face for Jesus's head. And it's, it looks terrible. You have to look at it. But anyway, everyone's grieving over how she ruined that painting. And that's kind of what sin does to us. It mars us. 
It ruins us to the point that we can't be fixed. We are like a ruined painting. We're a broken statue. We should have glory in ourselves, but we don't because of sin. We have ruined those purposes. We're like Humpty Dumpty. We fell off the wall. We're broken and we can't be fixed. But it's God who made us that wants to put us back together again. See, that's the reason that God sees worth in you is because he sees that broken image and he wants to bring you back to that place of glory, to bring you back to reflect his glory, to be his image. Some of you feel like you need to be in a relationship in order to feel worth. Some of you feel like there are certain things in your life that you have to do in order to be worthy, to feel like you are loved, to feel like you're valuable. Some of you will dress a certain way to be provocative in the way that you dress or draw attention to yourself in, in some way, whether it's on social media or other things or the way that you talk. And you just long to be pursued. You want other people to chase after you because you want to feel that worth. You want other people to look at you and say, you are, you are a valuable person. I'm not just talking about ladies. I'm talking about guys too. Guys want to feel valuable. Sometimes that's why guys will fight over the same girl, not because they like the girl, but because they want to feel more valuable than the other guy. It's the truth. Some of you are settling for a mediocre relationship just because you don't feel like you're worth anything. Some of you are settling for a guy or a girl that doesn't love God that much. I mean, he loves God or he says he's a Christian, he's Catholic. You settle for that relationship because you don't feel like you can do any better. You feel like that's the only way that you can get worth. And you see, humans desperately need to be loved. There's something in us that needs to feel worth. We want other people to, to esteem us valuable. But the problem is, all the while, we're rejecting the one true God who is showing us countless acts of his love. You see, the things that you have that are gifts, the things that you have in your possession, those are gifts from God. His kindness is intended to lead us to repentance, to, to draw our attention to him, to say, wow, these things are awesome. Where did they come from? Wow, there must be a good God up there who gave me these good things. Instead, we've rejected those countless acts and looked for the acts themselves to give us that worth. Have you ever said, well, God has to make himself real to me in order for me to blank? I just really need God to show me. I, I really need God to make himself real to me in order for me to do this thing or that thing. It's kind of like the girl, that girl that's on Facebook that posts her status and says, do you think I'm beautiful? Post a picture of herself, and all of you do it, so don't look at each other and say, that's you. It's probably all of you. But that's not what I'm drawing attention to. It's the fact that the same girl that, you know, posts that picture, asks, am I beautiful? Do you guys think I look good? And then under the comment section, there's that one nerdy guy that says, oh, yeah, you're beautiful. Or just really creepy. It's like, oh, my gosh, you're adorable. Can I get your number? And you're just like, oh, I didn't want your your approval. I didn't want you to say anything. I wanted that guy that I like to say something. We can all think of people like that. Sometimes we're treating God like he's that nerdy guy. Like we're looking for someone's attention. We're looking for that guy or that girl that we like to, to seem us valuable. But then when that nerd comes over and says, 
I just need to tell you something. Can we have a talk? Can I call you? Can we go out here? Can we go on a date? They're like, oh, what do I say to him? That's really awkward. I don't know what to do about that. And then at the other hand, you're like, no one loves me. No one esteems me valuable. And you just want value from the right person. That's the thing. And we're kind of treating God like he's that nerdy boy that we don't want to talk to. Like, oh yeah, God, I, I, when I said that I wanted to be esteemed, valuable, when I, when I said I wanted to be loved, I meant that person, not you. I wasn't looking, you didn't really fit my criteria of, of the person that I wanted. I think it's funny that some of us, if only our favorite musician tweet replied us, we'd be on an emotional high for days, right? If, think of your favorite musician right now. Someone tweet replies you, you'd be like, oh my gosh, you would repost it, you take a snapshot on your phone. Look at, all my friends have to see this. Oh my gosh, I can't believe that this person actually did that. For days, for weeks, that'd be like the highlight of your life. The interesting thing is that when the God of the universe wants to esteem us valuable, we don't pay him attention. But God is not some nerdy boy that needs to win your affection. He's not some loser that has to work harder in order for you to love him. He's not someone that you tell, God, if you need to do this, you need to fulfill that, and then I'll think about loving you. I think, I, I think I'll read my Bible more if you did this for me. God's not like that. You're the one that needs to repent. You're the one that needs to acknowledge him as valuable. We're the ones that should be pursuing him. But the interesting thing is he pursued us when we're not pursuable, when we're disgusting, when we're filthy, when we're ugly. God pursues us. So this is the good news of the Bible, that God chose to love us even though we are unlovable. 1 Samuel 14, 14 says, God does not just sweep life away. Instead, he devises ways to bring us back when we have been separated from him. That's one of the most encouraging verses for me when I'm going through a tough time, when I feel like God hates me or doesn't care about me, I remember that God actually plans out ways that he can woo me back to himself. He says, that person's left me, but I'm gonna figure out a way to bring that person back to me. He's chasing after you. He's pursuing you. Because we are God's image bearers, he wants all that are willing to be reconciled back to himself because we are his images. Ezekiel 11, 19 through 20 says, then I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within them and take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may, that they may walk in my statues and keep my judgments and do them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. If you have a callous heart tonight, you don't have any feeling or emotion towards God, You've been feeling kind of callous towards God. He wants to take that out if you're willing. He wants to say, I'll, I'll take that. I'll fix you. I'll make it all better. I'll put you back together again. It's because God has joy in his creation. He is the artist that buys back that ruined painting because he's the only one that can fix it. He sees you and you're marred beyond recognition. You're marred beyond repair. And God says, I will buy you back and I will make you into a new creation, a new painting, a new sculpture. Because God sees your potential. He is the potter. We are the clay. He molds us into the 
the vessel of honor that he wants us to be. You say, well, I don't know if I can be ever used again because I'm so broken by sin. Well, God says, I want to take you back. I want to take you back. I'm going to buy you back with my own blood and I'm going to make you into something usable. Where you previously thought you were useless, I'm going to give you a use. That leads us to our second point, that God has a purpose for your life. Not only does God see worth in you, but God has a purpose for you. And God's purpose means that you have a gift, that God has uses for you. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4 through 7 says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. You see, we're all a part of the body of Christ. So therefore, we all have different functions. There's no part in your body that just doesn't have any function at all. Every single part in your body has a specific function. Although some are on the outside, some are on the inside, we esteem some more valuable than the others. They're all necessary, but they all don't do the same thing. And only God knows, as the head, what your body is supposed to be doing, how you are to be used. Now the question pops up, what is God's will for my life? Have you asked that before? What is the will of God for me? I'm about to tell you, ready? First Thess- Thessalonians 5.18. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. There you go. Be thankful for what you got. That's the will of God. Because remember what we learned last week, that we are complete in Christ. You don't need anything today in order to be more loved by God. God has completed you. Everything that you need to glorify God, you have been already given. You don't need anything else. You don't have to acquire any more abilities. You have to be any better of a Christian. God wants to use you in the place that you're at right now, in the time that you're living for a specific purpose now. So you might be saying, well, what's my gifting then? What is my use? What is that use? How do I find out what that use is? Well, it becomes kind of obvious when you remember that everything that you have now is a gift. You want to know what one of your gifts is? I'll tell you right now. Ready? You've been wondering what your gift is? I'll tell you right now. If you're single, that's a gift. If you're married, that's a gift. So go use it. I heard that from one pastor like three years ago. He told me, I was like, what's my gift? I want to know. He's like, if you're single, it's a gift. If you're married, it's a gift. I'm like, crap, darn it. It's like, so use your gifts. There's certain things that you can do only when you're single. There's certain things that you can do only when you're married. 1 Corinthians 7, 32 through 35 says, I want you to be free from anxieties, Paul says. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Some of you are rushing to get into a relationship. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't. It might be good for you, might not be. Even Paul himself said, I'm not going to put a, a command on you. What he is saying, and what I'll, I'll say to you tonight, before we talk about it later, more in depth, 
is don't neglect the gift that you're given today right now. So many of us are just looking forward to tomorrow so much that you miss on the present. What is, what is the, the gift right now that I have that God wants me to use? Because he says when you're single, you're anxious about the things of God. You don't have any distractions. When you're married, you have to also think about how to please your wife, how to please your husband as one body. Not saying that any one is worse than the other, but it's important to remember that you are gifted in the things that you are. It's not a handicap. It's not like God's like, ha, see that person suffer with singleness. No, he has placed you in that position for a reason. As Christians, we're always trying to figure out what is God's call for my life. You want to know God's will. You want to know the giftings. And you also want to know, well, what's my call? What does he want me to be? I understand that that might be a gift. Everything I have is a gift. But where does he want me to go? What should I be devoting my time to? I think in America, especially with all the range of abilities that we have, you can go on YouTube, learn how to do anything that you want. You want to learn how to play guitar, take guitar lessons on YouTube. You want to learn how to fix your car, do an oil change, YouTube, internet. You can basically learn how to do anything that you want to do. You're not going to be good at it all the time. But you can learn how to do anything that you want to do. So with this information overload, sometimes you're like, well, what do I do? Okay, I understand that I can do something, but what is my gift? What is my calling? What does God specifically want me to use? I think as Americans, we, we sometimes pride ourselves in our ability to be used. We're kind of like the hand. You know, we're all part of the body of Christ. Christ is the head. We're the body. We all have different functions. We're all different parts. And we're the hand, and we're saying, look at me, I'm so cool. I can stab people. I can tickle people. Coochie, coochie. And you say, I'm so much better than that liver. He's all the way in there because, you know, he's useless because no one even looks at him. And other people might be that liver. And you may say, what's my function? Why can't I be like the hand? I want to tickle people too. But even the Bible says the parts that aren't seen are sometimes more important than the parts that are seen. That liver has a function, a very important function. You don't have a liver, try living. Try living without a liver. You can live without a hand because it's not a hand hender. That's the end of that analogy. Here's the point. When we avoid God's planned purposes for our lives, we lose our maximal functionality. Those are big words, so I'll slow it down. When we lose and avoid God's planned purposes for you, the things that God says, walk in these ways, you are my workmanship, I've designed you, you are a tool to be used for something, and you say, I want no part of that. God, that's nice, you have a plan for me, I don't want any part of your plan. We lose our maximal functionality. Here's an example. Well, first of all, I'll give you a verse to back that up. Ecclesiastes 6 verse 10 says, Everything has already been decided. It was known long ago what each person will be. So there's no use arguing with God about your destiny. It's a great verse. Look it up sometime. It can be really depressing or really encouraging. It's like, God, I don't want to be this way. But I guess you're God. So I guess I'm going to be this way. That stinks. Or it'd be really good. Most likely it's really good. Here's the thing. You lose your maximal functionality when you avoid God's plan purpose. You're... Think of yourself as a tool right now, not in the bad sense, in a good sense. You're used for something. Now, every tool is made 
for something. You have a hammer, it's because you need to hammer things. <laughs> you have a knife, it's because you need to cut things. You need to slice things. Now, when you avoid your maximal functionality, it's like a chainsaw saying, well, I want to be like the knife, so I'm going to go cut some bread. I'm going to slice some bread. And you try to slice some bread. You're going to slice someone's hand off. You're losing your maximal functionality. And the same thing, if you're a knife, you say, well, I think I can do what that chainsaw does. I'm going to try to chop down the tree. You're going to have a very hard time. And some of us, when we're avoiding God's will for our life, or his planned purpose, you are fighting against the wind. You're trying to extract meaning from your life. You're trying to do stuff for God, and you're like, well, but I want to do my own thing. You're going to lose your maximal functionality. It's also important to remember there are no small parts of the body, whether you're a liver or any, any other part. Don't fight about it. Don't argue with each other because you're all the same body. You're all part of the same church. Don't look at someone else and be like, huh, I got more uses than you. I can sing. I got abilities. I can do worship. I mean, I can act. I can, this is me right now. Sorry. No, it's not. I'm just thinking of things off the top of my head. You say, I have all these abilities and I'm not like you because you, get, you don't have any abilities. What do you got to do? And the person feels, oh, I, you know, I'm introverted. I can't really do too much. And that person might have more use than you. But it's kind of like if you're arguing with the same church, the same body of Christ, it's kind of like your hand rejoicing when your stomach is stabbed. It doesn't happen. You're the same body. If you got stabbed, you're like, oh, and your hand rushes to your stomach because you all feel the same pain. You won't rejoice, but like, oh, it's so great that I got stabbed. That's awesome. You wouldn't say that because you're all the same body. So don't fight. When we try to define our own calling, we, in essence, are worshiping ourselves. When we say, God, I want no part of your intended purposes, your intended plan, we are worshiping ourselves. We're saying, look what I, a mere clay jar, can do. I can hold water. I can hold wine. Although none of you should have wine. <laughs> Biblical wine. People pride themselves in their ability to multitask, if you haven't noticed. Like, we pride ourselves in, in how many things we can do at the same time, especially with media, right? We can listen to music, we can watch TV, and do homework all at the same time. And your parents are like, how are you possibly doing homework? Oh, it helps me to concentrate when I'm listening to all these things and watching these things. Your parents are like scratching their head, we're like, well, I didn't have TV back in the the dinosaur ages, so I guess you must be right. We say sometimes that, you know, if I can sing well, I can dress well, I have all the gifts of the Spirit, I can do anything. Some of us feel self-sufficient. But the interesting thing is, studies have shown that true multitasking is actually impossible. It's impossible to be doing all these things and be good at them all at the same time. You're either giving 30% of your attention to this, 30% of your attention to music, 30% of your attention to something else. You're dividing your attention. It's not like 100% to music, 100% to media and other things. You're dividing your attention. True multitasking is impossible. If you think I'm wrong, think about this. How many of you, your friend's talking to you, you're texting away, you know, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your friend, you're, talk, you're, you're texting, you're not listening to anything I'm saying. Oh yeah, I am. Tell us what you're saying. You're at the table, your parents are like yelling at you. How many of you even... Don't raise your hand. How many of you even eat dinner with your families? Just think, I didn't tell, okay, good. That's awesome. Just wondering. So I've never done that. Just wondering. I don't know. 
and your parents yell at you, like, you can't text and talk to me at the same time, put that phone down, like, you just let go. Now what I do when people are talking to me, because people start texting, it's, what's showing that person is, you're not worthy of my attention. You're not, you know, the, the thing that I'm on right now, the person I'm texting right now is more important than you, so I'm going to give them my attention. That's what you're basically saying to that other person. So now, my test is, whenever someone's texting while I'm talking, I'll just stop talking. And usually, they don't notice anything's wrong. They'll just be, like, texting away. So it'll, like, be five minutes where I just, like, stop in the middle of a sentence. And be like, the goodness of God leads us to... And they'll be texting, nodding their head, looking up. <laughs> nothing changed. Try that sometime. It's really funny. Romans 9, verse 20 through 21 says, But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another dishonor? So an, an objection would be something like this. Well, God, you say that you have this planned, pur planned purpose for me, but you gave me this ability. So it's kind of obvious that you would let me use this gift for your glory. Why would you give me a gift if you didn't want me to use it, right? It's kind of like how I used to think back when I was in a, a screaming band back in the day. Some of you don't even know that, which is really sad. It wasn't that long ago. Um, I, I, you know, I found pride in my ability to scream, which is kind of weird, but I worked on it really hard. You know, I was an actor, so I used my diaphragm to breathe and stuff. I thought that was my gift. Because I was like, well, I don't have too many gifts, so this is probably my gift, my gift of screaming, I guess. Like if I was ever in a fight, I'd probably scare someone to death. <laughs> so I figured that I would always be using that gift. And then when that gift was being taken away, when God was saying, okay, I want you to move to something else, I was like, well, I need to use this because this is my gift. God's like, well, that's nice, but I want you to do something else. I'm like, well, but it's my gift. You gave it to me, so I'm going to use it. Some of us feel entitled to purpose, because God gave us those things. So when God started to take away that thing, I was like, well, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna make music still. I'm just not gonna do screaming music. So I started making the, you know, the pop electronic stuff that you guys hear sometimes. Because I, I just couldn't stand the idea of not being in music. Because music was my life. That was my, my gift, my purpose. That's how I found value in myself is through that gift. So I said, well, Obviously, God is just shifting me in a different direction. I didn't realize that that thing had become an idol to me. And that's exactly what we do. When we tell God, I don't want to walk in your plan purposes, we're, what we're telling him is, I believe I know better than you. We're in essence worshiping ourselves. Matt Chandler says, most evangelicals believe Christians are in a bargaining position. I'll do this and you'll do that. And if I do this for you, then you'll do that for me. In the end, God says, you keep trying to pay me off with stuff that's already mine. Some of us even try to bargain with our lives. But God says, please, I'll take that life if I want it. I'm God. We presume upon our service. I'll serve you, God, we say. But he replies, I'm not served by human hands as though I need anything. Acts 17, verse 25. Just because God gives us things doesn't mean we're not going to use them for evil. Goliath had the gift of tallness. He was strong. He had gifts. He was a giant. He could have used those gifts for God's glory, but obviously he didn't. He used them for evil. You see plenty of people that are in the world that are 
plenty gifted, probably more gifted than most Christians, and they use it for evil. Samson uses gift for evil. It's possible to have gifts and use them the wrong way. That's why it's important to listen to the voice of the Lord. Ephesians 5, 15 through 16 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Ephesians 5, 10 says, Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Your gifting, here's another point, your gifting might not even be something that you're good at. Sometimes we feel like our gift has to be something that we, we excel at. And if you're not good at anything, well, I guess I'm pretty good at this. So I'm going to use that because that's probably my gift. Your gift might not even be something that you think you're good at. Apparently, my gift is teaching and preaching the Word of God, but I never in a million years thought I'd do this. I still don't think I'm good at it. I know I'm not good at it. You know, I listen to myself. I'm like, why did I say that? Like, if I pointed out some of the things, you probably already realize it, but I, I say certain things all the time. I do certain things like this with my hands. I do that all the time. I don't want to point them out because you'll be distracted by the time that I'm done with this, but those things annoy me. But anyway, you might not even feel that you're gifted in the thing that is your gift, but sometimes God says, I want you to use that so that I can show my power through you. I never a million years thought I'd be doing youth ministry. I thought I'd be, in, I thought I'd be doing music. I thought I'd be doing acting. I shifted from one gift to another. And God says, I have a purpose for you. And if you want to fight, you want to kick, you want to be that clay that rebels against the pottery, go ahead. But if you want to walk in your intended purpose where you're going to find true joy, then you have to find joy and satisfaction in my will. God knows how you can be used best because he made you for something. So if you're here today and you still don't know your calling, even though I told you it's gift of singleness or gift of marriage, you're not married though, so sorry. Even if you don't know your calling, that's great because I think it's better to not know your calling than be so sure of your calling for this reason. And I heard this from former Joel Lopez. He says, when you're at that place where you're unsure of God's will for your life, unsure of your giftings, unsure of your talents, that's the perfect place for God to use you. Because God says, great, I can put you wherever I want. It's the person that's so sure of their gifts says, well, of course. Of course God would use me in this way. I mean, look at all of, all of the things I've cultivated. Look at how many people I've saved using this gift. That God says, oh, that's great that you want to do that, but what if I want to not use that anymore? So I don't actually think, here's the other misconception, I don't think there's ever one specific call for your life. When we say, the calling of the Lord, you know, some of my friends always talked about that, like, I, th I feel like I'm called to be in the ministry. That's great. Does that mean like you're looking for one specific time in your life where you're called and that's it? Your life ends? No. I think most people would agree that they don't ever, you know, people of all ages, whether you're in junior high up till you're 80 years old, people will always tell you that they're not sure what God wants them to do tomorrow. They still think God has uses for them. It's not like you reach age 25 and you're like, all right, I have attained. I've reached the goal. I've found my gift. The end. God always has some new call, multiple callings, multiple uses, just like a pot won't always be used for the same things. A vase will be used for flowers, used for water, used for different things. God has multiple uses for you. Just because you have a use today doesn't mean that he's not going to use you in a different way tomorrow. So I don't think there's ever one specific call 
We have different gifts for, used for different times, but the call that we have, the one call that we have is service to God. Philippians 4, 11 through 13, Paul says, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be a base. I know how to be abound every, everywhere. And in all things I have learned to be both full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You realize that gifts will cease one day? Gift things that you have right now, you put all your stalking gifts, it's going to stop one day. You're not going to need the gift of evangelism when you're in heaven. 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 10 says, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So one day our giftings will no longer be needed. So remember that our gifts are tools in order to express our love for God. D.L. Moody says, When men learn the lesson that they are nothing and God is everything, then there is not a position in which God cannot use them. So in conclusion tonight, to wrap it all up, we should spend time honing our gifts to glorify God. You know, spend time cultivating that gift. Find out what that gift is and say, I want to make it into something. I want to use it to the best of my ability to glorify God. But that should never take the place of spending time directly with God. As I heard one pastor say the other day, activity is no, activity is no substitute for intimacy. Think so often that we worship things that don't deserve to be worshipped. We're distracted by things that don't deserve our time. We'll be spending hours in front of the computer, hours in front of the TV, when they don't deserve our time. I tried to turn on my TV the other day to watch one of the students that was going to be on TV. And I turned on the TV, and it told me that I needed a cable box. Didn't they switch over the cable boxes like three years ago? Now, no one even knows because everyone has cable. I don't have cable in my house. So I turned on the TV, it doesn't work. I was like, wow, the one time I try to watch TV, it doesn't work. It was really awkward. I didn't know what to do with myself. Now that it's, it's like one of those things where you, it's more desirable now that you can't do it. So like, well, I want to watch TV because I can't watch TV. So anyway, distracted. Andrew Murray says, here's a quote. We prove the value we attach to things by the time we devote to them. You cannot live every day in perfect fellowship with God without giving up time to it. You take time for everything. How many hours a day has a young lady spent for years and years that she may become proficient on the piano? How many years does a young man study to fit himself for the profession of the law or medicine? Hours and days and weeks and months and years gladly given up to perfect himself for his profession. And do you expect that religion is so cheap that without giving time, you can find close fellowship with God? You cannot. Without spending time with God, it's impossible to achieve intimacy with God. It's impossible to know His call, to know His will. I'm not saying any mystic will that you're going to hear this weird voice come out of nowhere and be like, this is the will of God. I want you to do this. I want you to talk to this person. But I, what I am saying is you will know God's purposes for you when you have the mind of Christ because you'll have the Holy Spirit living inside of you and He's revealed all things to you as you learn in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and chapter 1. 
God has a purpose. He has a plan. He has revealed that plan to you if you are in Christ Jesus. How do you know that plan? Spending time with Christ Jesus. So it's great that we have gifts. It's great that we have things. Let's not forget that those things are good things, but things intended to worship God. We don't find worth in those things. We find worth in God because he esteems us useful. We are his broken image bearers that need to be reconciled back to him. And he also has a purpose for your life, a use in which when you find that use, when you find that purpose, you will find peace. You will find joy. You'll find the rest of the things that we'll learn in Colossians in the, in the coming weeks. So here's my challenge to you. We spend so much time on useless things. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What he's saying there is not like, understand what the will of the Lord is, and by the way, you can't know it, and understand what the will of the Lord is, but it's mysterious, so you'll probably never figure it out. He says, don't be a fool. Don't be stupid. Don't be dumb. Don't waste your time. Know what the will of the Lord is for your life. Understand it. Take hold of it. Read his word. Find your gift. If you don't know what your gift is today, you know, do a message on spiritual gifts too. But find your use. Find your purpose. Find what you have. Be thankful in all things. That's the will of God for you today. Find out what it is that you can use to bless others and give glory to Christ and say, I'm going to use this. I'm going to cultivate it. Don't let people in the world talk you down, say you're not going to be any good. You're stupid. You'll never be good at that thing. You'll never be good at skating or soccer or sports or running. Or Don't let the world talk you down. Say, this is my gift. I like to do this thing, and I just hope that God wants me to do it. And pray, Lord, if you want me to walk and do this thing, I like doing it. If you want me to do it, awesome. If you don't want me to do it, that's fine too. I'm cool with you taking it away. That has to be our attitude when we approach his gifts. Because whether he gives it or he takes it away, it's all his anyway. Ask yourself, does my gift please the Lord? Does my life please the Lord? This Sunday, we're going to be having a worship and communion service. So I hope that you guys would take a stand with me and you're, you're not going to just you know, go through and just be like, well, it's a Sunday, I'm busy, it's 6 p.m. But you say, you know what, I want to meet God. I think it's going to be an awesome time of worship. I think it's going to be an awesome time of koinonia. Some of you probably don't know what that word means, but I'll say that for another message. A great time where we can get together as one body, as one church, because it's easy to be separated from the rest of the church. But you guys have a fire, you have giftings, you have passions that can ignite a fire in the rest of the big church. So that's why I encourage you to tell someone, don't leave here today without encouraging one of your friends, asking one of your friends, hey, will you go on Sunday with me, 6 p.m., in the main sanctuary for that prayer and communion time? I'm serious. Write it down. Write it your cell phone or you're going to forget. I know you're going to forget. I know you're going to leave here today and no one's going to show up. I know it. I know no one's going to come. And then at the same time, we're like, oh, well, I want to worship God, but I just don't want to devote any time to God. That's one way you can devote time to God. You don't know how to do it. You don't know how to wake up earlier in the morning. You don't know how to read your Bible more. Take this time this Sunday, 6 p.m., one hour. Take the time say, you know what? 
I'm not really sure how to read my Bible. I'm not really sure how to worship God. But I know one thing. I'm going to devote an hour of my life on Sunday at 6 p.m. That's it. To worship God. Say, make a stand for God. Say, God, I believe you're worth my time. A lot of things that I have to do, but I, I believe that you're worth it. Because he thinks that you're worth it. He says, I'm going to spend 33 years of my life on this earth to chase after you, to tell you that you're worth something. And we won't take an hour of our time. I just don't know when's going to show up on Sunday. Maybe that's me just not having faith in you, but I care about you guys so much. I do. I just want you guys to get it. I want you to just leave here and be like, whatever, whatever, Alan. I'm sorry if I'm going over time too. I don't, I don't even care. Know what the will of the Lord is for your life. Don't leave here today. Don't leave here today and just say, well, that was a great message. We'll just move on and that's it. Figure it out. If you're not sure, maybe ask a leader. Talk about it with one another. Think about your gifts.